Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So we are still in this wonderful Easter season and will be until the day of Pentecost. So we the lectionary uh, includes all of these appearances of Jesus on Easter morning. Uh, we looked at Mary Magdalene and her encounter early in the morning as the sun was rising outside of the empty tomb. And then, um, and, and how amazing that was for her to see her Lord in a human flesh, but in a different kind of a body, but bodily. And then last week we read about him, Jesus appearing behind closed doors to the disciples in the evening of that same day. So a full day had gone by since his appearance to Mary Magdalene in the garden and in other um, of the gospels, we hear that he appeared to several of the other women as well. And so last week we learned about him appearing to the disciples in the upper room behind closed doors. And then Thomas was not there. So we fast forwarded a week and a week later, Thomas is there and the Lord appeared. Those were stories from John's gospel. Now we go back into Luke's gospel. And so it's uh, the story from a little bit of a different angle. The disciples are in the upper room. We have heard also in Luke that they did not believe the stories of the women who had encountered Jesus in the garden, outside the garden tomb um, in the morning. But right before this story, there is the narrative about the two people who were going very dejectedly on their way from Jerusalem to Emmaus on the road, and Jesus came alongside them, but they didn't immediately recognize him until he came into where they were going, into the house in Emmaus, and in the breaking of bread, they recognized that it was Jesus, and then he left them. And then, of course, they dash seven miles back to Jerusalem, to the disciples, and say, we've seen the Lord. And just as they're talking about this amazing encounter with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, where he's opened up the scriptures to them, and uh, and they say afterwards, weren't our hearts strangely warmed when he did that? But they still didn't recognize him until they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. And so just as they are giving this story about encountering Jesus, Jesus appears to all of them again in the upper room. And their reaction, as it has been over all of these stories, is not one of immediate belief. They don't, they don't necessarily believe their eyes. And in this case, they're afraid. They're behind locked doors because they're afraid of the Pharisees and the Jews and the Romans that they might indeed be crucified as well. But now when Jesus appears, we hear that they're frightened and he says, don't be afraid. I'm not a ghost. I love Luke because he puts these little things in there that you can just get yourself right into the story. Details as to, well, the others don't necessarily put in those details. And yet he has these wonderful details. He says, come on, touch me. 
See, I'm flesh and blood. This is not ghostly. This is not a spiritual body in the way that it is non-corporeal. It's corporeal. You can touch it. This is a body. Touch it. Feel the wounds in my hands. Feel the wounds in my feet. I'm not a ghost. And then this is the lovely little bit that I like, is, is that Luke puts in there and Jesus says, just to make sure that they know that it's a body, have you got anything to eat? Don't you love it? Here's a resurrected Lord. And he's saying, do you have anything to eat just to put their minds at rest? You know, I love that, don't you? When we get our resurrected bodies, when the Lord returns, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, we'll be eating, right? I mean, if he's eating in a resurrected body, I mean, I really like that, right? You know, it's going to be food. Whether or not we need it, we'll be able to eat. That's fantastic for me. I like food. But it's not only that. He needs to then tell, open their eyes to a new understanding of what he had been telling them those three years that he was with them when he was ministering in their midst. And so he tells them to look back into scripture and to see that all of their scriptures actually point forward to him. He's already said that early on in John's gospel to the Pharisees. He said to them, John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. See, the Bible is the one book that you don't want to read from cover to cover because the front end only makes sense when you've read the Gospels about Jesus Christ because all of it is pointing towards him so that you need to know about Jesus to be able to see how the first part is talking about him. See, it's not a book on information. It's not a pure biography. It's not a history, although there is history in there. There's all of that in there. It's not a catalog of information or even a catalog of ethics, although there is a way that it describes how we should live our lives morally and ethically. It's above all about Jesus, it points back to him. And so we need to understand Jesus, or not understand him, but encounter Jesus, so that we can come back and see how he is revealed in the first part of the scriptures. It is indeed a living word. You know, uh, Georgie gave us a, pres- a Christmas present of going to uh, Katerina, Eric, and uh, and Georgie and I went to um, Universal Studios to Harry Potter Land into Diagon Alley and, and Hogsmeade on Friday, and it, it was just a wonderful day of family. Pat didn't come because Pat hates queues, and and he hates theme parks, so we knew that. Um, <laughs> 
But I, I go to that because um, I love those Harry Potter books because in those kind of books you can always see reflections of, of the truth of, of what the Lord is telling us in the book. But one of the things any of you who have read those books know that the books come alive and they actually read the people back to themselves again. And in the truest way, that's what the Bible does to us. The, it's living. And so there's one when we went into Gringotts, the bank, you know, if any of you know. Anyway, there's this, this picture on the wall and it's alive and it's talking to you. And it's that sense that the Bible is not dry. It's not information. It's alive because it speaks about a living person. And it draws us into an adventure of incomparable grandeur, an encounter with the one to whom it witnesses. Jesus says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Well, that's pretty much the entire Old Testament, right? Moses is the five books of the Pentateuch. The prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, all of that is talking about Jesus. Then he opened their minds, the disciples' minds, to understand the scriptures and he said to them thus it is written that the messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from jerusalem you are witnesses of these things So we've seen over the last three Sundays that they don't initially twig to what's going on. They, they, they encounter a risen Lord in a completely different but the same body. What does it mean? Well, they start to realize what all of that means to them and to generations yet to come once Jesus opens their minds to understand the scriptures. See, having grappled with what it means to actually encounter a risen Lord, to physically touch a risen Lord, what it means to be firsthand witnesses of resurrected life, witnesses they become. And it's why in the Acts of the Apostles, Peter, after Pentecost, can speak with such conviction and indeed heals in Jesus's name. This passage comes after a lame beggar has been healed. Peter and John have gone into the temple and they see a lame beggar and they say, look at us. And he thinks they're going to give him some silver or some gold. And they say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And so Peter says, and they think that this is, this power is, is Peter's power. And Peter says, you Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we had made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you, 
And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. And then he goes on to say this. To this, we are witnesses. They became witnesses, not just of the fact of a risen Lord, but to all that they now understood that resurrection meant. As Jesus had revealed it to them from Moses, the prophets, and his teachings while he was with them. They became witnesses, not just to a resurrected Lord, but to what a resurrected Lord meant in their lives. What resurrected life meant to them individually. And Peter became empowered to preach and to heal in Jesus' name. We hear this. In this way... God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets. You see, Peter is telling this to the people because this is what Jesus had revealed to them. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. See, Jesus' resurrected life meant that indeed their sins and our sins have been wiped out on the cross on Good Friday. Resurrection on Easter morning means that everything that happened on Good Friday is true. That our sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus. If there'd been no Easter morning, we would not have been able to believe But on Easter morning, a resurrected Jesus means that everything about the cross on Good Friday is true. Our sins have been wiped out. Jesus' resurrected life meant that through faith that is in Jesus, through Jesus' healing power, through faith in his name, people are healed. By faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. Jesus' resurrected life means that we have been baptized into his death and resurrection, plunged into the water to die with Christ on the cross, raised to new life with him on Easter morning. We have been baptized into his death and resurrection and therefore are God's children now. Beloved, we are God's children now, John says in his first letter. Jesus' resurrected life means that although we are God's children now, what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed at the end of the age, when he returns and there's a new heaven and a new earth, we will be like him. We receive resurrected life right now through belief in him, through our death and new life through baptism. We receive resurrected life. Resurrected bodies will be ours at the end of the age. But when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. A bodily resurrected Lord meant not only has Jesus passed through death 
into a new human existence. But we who have been baptized into his death have also been baptized into his resurrected life. In other words, all that the Lord accomplished on the cross is ours now, right now. We will have resurrected bodies when he returns. But right now, resurrected life is dwelling in each one of you. Do you believe? Do you believe that you are God's children now? Do you believe that your sins are forgiven now? Do you believe that faith in his name still has the power to bring healing into this world? I would say amen, yes, we believe. In which case, you are witnesses of these things. Out into a dark world in need of the witness of this light. Amen.